Hey there, my name is Kathy, and welcome to my podcast, That Chronic Thing. I'm here to share my experiences living with chronic illness, including ME, CFS, and MS, and offer support and advice for dealing with similar struggles. This show is a resource for anyone looking for support, advice, and a sense of community as they navigate life with chronic illness. I know firsthand how hard it can be to adapt to a new way of life, managing symptoms, finding a new rhythm, and doing this all while you're going to a gazillion doctor's visits. But through my own struggles, I've learned to find joy and laughter along the way, and I really hope you can do the same. So join me and other chronic illness warriors as we tackle the ups and downs of living with chronic illness together. I'm back today with my friend Whitney, who just like me, has ME-CFS. Today we talk about our fear of COVID with the context that we're already ill. I mean, what happens when you get post-viral illness on top of post-viral illness? You'll hear Whitney say that acceptance doesn't feel like a choice with Emmy, and I completely agree. If you're a caretaker or someone without illness that is listening to this podcast to broaden your understanding of chronic illness, I hope that this provides a little view into what it's like living with illness in a COVID world. And here we go. Uh, so here's my fun, fun advocacy story. Um, in early, early March of 2020, when the news was just coming out about COVID, I got arrested for interrupting an NIH budget hearing to tell then NIH director, Dr. Collins, to stop ignoring the MECFS crisis. I was in my wheelchair and they almost tried to charge me with resisting arrest when they were pushing me out of the room in a wheelchair. <laughs> it's horrifying and wonderful at the same time. I, story. <laughs> I mean, I knew, I knew going into it, that was the goal because we wanted to cause a disruption. Um, but yeah, me and another advocate, Matina, interrupted the meeting. And we knew, like, we waited for them to talk about the COVID stuff because we were very conscious, like, COVID is going to cause more ME cases. We've seen it in past viral outbreaks. It's not new. We know this is going to happen. And all these people are going to go through the same thing that we went through where doctors don't believe you and your symptoms have to get really bad before they even listen. And we knew it was coming. Um, And so it's like, when I talk about long COVID, I try to be careful because I don't have that. I am extremely, extremely privileged that um, I was like kind of joking about it today on my stories. I'm like, who would have thought it was a privilege to be housebound? But that has kept me safe from infection for these past three years. And like any, it's not just COVID, any infection I get would cause an increase in symptoms or could cause an ME relapse. Um, so I'm really lucky that my husband works from home most of the time when he does go in, they have like, they even made a little desk for him away from other people with a HEPA filter. And like they replaced their filtration systems a couple years ago. They're actually accommodating some of our needs. Most workplaces won't. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so like I'm talking about all this from my perspective of having infection associated chronic illness, but I don't have long COVID and I have not had COVID. So I try to be careful to not like speak for them. But at the same time, almost all of my friends with ME now also have long COVID. 
Yeah. So it's just frustrating to see like when my friends who have ME also get COVID and what that does to their ME symptoms and ME baseline. And we don't even have any treatments that can help with that. So yeah, I'm going to keep doing everything I can to avoid it. And I'm going to keep calling everybody out who is not doing anything to avoid it. <laughs> Long COVID on top of ME-CFS just sounds like a nightmare. And way back when, when we were figuring out that COVID could lead to post-viral illness, I really wanted to know was what happens when you get post-viral illness on top of post-viral illness, when you get long COVID on top of MECFS. And it is so sad that we are now seeing that. And I have at least two Instagram friends, acquaintances, you know, that um, I watched their lives change. I watched the nature of their posts change. This one person, Fran Haddock, do you, do you follow? Yes. Oh, I love Fran. I'm Fran. Make, that makes me so sad. Um, Cause every year Fran has such amazing posts around awareness day. And Fran did this whole campaign around ME on international women's day and why we need to prioritize women's health issues. And yeah, seeing what Fran's like one of the ones that comes to mind when I say what this is doing to my friends and what this is doing to our community because people are just letting COVID spread unchecked. It's, it makes me so angry. And yeah, it is scary because we can do everything right. And even I've even seen friends who have, who have gotten I mean, I've seen doctors making fun of it saying, oh, the rare double long COVID, but I've seen that happen too, where a friend who's in the process of recovering from long COVID gets it again and then has really serious health issues from it. And that's the thing that scared me from the start was my heart is fine right now. It may not be forever because EDS is degenerative and it can affect your heart. Um, My lungs are healthy right now why would I chance that? <laughs> I don't want to add another specialist to my collection. I'm, I'm going to keep wearing my mask and keeping my distance and trying to avoid it as much as I can, but it just feels like a matter of time um, before it hits all of us. Um, and we don't feels know. Like a time bomb. Yes. Um, and yeah. we're still so early that like, there's probably so many people who aren't at a hundred percent, but they're still functioning like I was for 10 years. So we're not going to see those people really um, feel the effects for another few years. And at this rate, we're still not going to have answers or help for them. Um, And that's like the other thing, like you were talking about with MS, how you say you have MS, people know what that means. We have celebrities who talk about it. We, we can visualize some of the symptoms. Um, we have a reference point and we don't really have that for ME. Um, and we really don't have that for severe ME. I don't think very many people understand the, the extent of what severe and very severe ME can do to people. Um, I think there was, there's this, um, YouTuber 
or she's social media famous. I know that. Um, she's a scientist. The physics girl. Physics girl. I'm letting, physics I'm letting girl, you yeah. down right now by not knowing her. Diane? Diana? I will definitely put it in the show notes. <laughs> I'll get it right for <laughs> the show notes. With brain fog trying to remember. And now she's she has severe ME at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the last episode, I did go over the stages of ME or the like the way it fluctuates. So I got all the details there for anyone who wants to go back and listen to that. But it is it is absolutely wretched, horrible. You are stuck in bed. You may not be able to turn yourself over in bed. Horrible. And you can't speak when it gets that bad. So you can't ask for help. You can't communicate what's going on. Um, When you're in that level of illness severity, it feels like it's going to be forever. Um, And that's a really scary thing too, to live moment by moment with this illness, knowing it's going to relapse and remit for most of us. It does for me. and yeah, to just accept those symptoms because we have no other choice. I mean, it doesn't really feel acceptance does not feel like a choice in with Emmy because there is such misunderstanding around it, but that's all we can really do. Um, and rest. <laughs> Let me tell you how hard resting is when you have no choice. It, it, uh, it sucks. Um, yeah. This isn't what I want to be doing with my life. I, I don't want to be laying on the couch. So let's say we're like, oh, let's go to a coffee house. You can't because no one's wearing their damn mask. Oh, because mm-hmm. the government says you don't have to, which is great if you if COVID wasn't a thing. But that virus is still out there. It's um, it's everywhere. I like it. I it's just I don't know how people are living with the delusion that it's gone because I'm I don't even leave the house much and I see people every week talking about testing positive or mm-hmm. having an exposure or whatever and I I mean I don't really get out of the house too often because it takes a lot of effort and a lot of planning and uh accessibility needs that have to be met but I went to a show on Sunday and I couldn't really even enjoy myself because a person like maybe three or four seats to my left was coughing the entire time without a mask on. And a person behind me was coughing the entire time. And I'm like, all I can hear is that. <laughs> and all so I can do is hope that, Yes. And all I can do is hope that my mask is enough protection. And it has been for me so far, but we know that one-way masking is not that effective. In those moments, do you want to turn around and be like, I'm immunocompromised. Get out of here. Because that's what I want to do. <laughs> Get out of here. You're going to kill me. I would love to, but that takes energy. <laughs> So it's like you have to pick and choose who you even confront because I've spent this whole week on the phone with two of my specialists trying to get them to give me an exception to do telemedicine because I, it's not safe for me to come into their offices Mm -hmm. and they, I don't know. I, it just, even medical providers, I feel like aren't understanding this and it's because it's, it's 100% because we, 
they don't learn about ME and they don't, they're still in this outdated like model of germ theory where you get a infection and you take a medicine and it's gone forever. And our bodies are living examples that that is not how it works. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I'm like, I even am using my energy trying to get my doctor's offices to provide accommodations so that I don't get sick when I go in there. And she says, well, how do you see your primary care doctor? And I said to her, (laughs) my primary care doctor tells me not to come in there and they have a mask mandate. She does not want me in there even when people are wearing their masks. And I had to go in there for my pre-op appointment and she actually like took care to make sure that I was brought back quickly and didn't have to sit in the waiting room for long and like all that stuff. And if we're going to live with COVID, we have to make accommodations so that the people most affected by this can still live our lives. And it's just so it's so frustrating that everyone seems so well, not everyone, but healthy people seem so content to just erase us. They don't want to see people like us that have to deal with these effects. And all the new patients who are having kind of viral onsets with some of these genetic conditions that sometimes are, they can kind of be dormant and then the virus can kind of flip the switch. So now there's like a three-year wait list for my doctor. <laughs> um, and I think it was like six months too. I got on it. Um, mine too, now that you mention it, he, I don't think he's taking new patients. I think they expanded his clinic um, and brought in more doctors, like more doctors are interested in the specialty, which is wonderful. I shouldn't complain. I just <sighs> like, it's my clinic, you know? <laughs> well, ah. and that was one of my fears at the start was we already don't have enough doctors who can diagnose and treat these conditions. And now that we're dumping tens of millions more patients, tens of millions of more people yeah, into these buckets, there's no care out there. People still think, oh, well, it's just a cold. I'll get over it. And then, I mean, that's what I thought when I had the flu. And I didn't. <laughs> um, and there's no doctors that can help you with it. And if if you are lucky to live near a facility that can treat it, like I um, was being treated for my POTS at Hopkins, they now have a three-year wait list. And I am no longer a patient there because my needs are too complex. And they're trying to focus on the simpler just POTS patients that they can actually mm-hmm. reverse. They don't want to mess with me anymore. (laughs) So it's like one of my fears is already becoming a reality for me of losing access to my doctors because they have to. And this is obviously not um, to knock on long COVID patients or blame them for catching it or anything like that. It's a knock on our medical system. But I've already lost access to a doctor because of this influx of patients. They can no longer care for me. Um, And it's only going to keep growing we keep doing this it's only going to get more of us now you had told me you broke up with that doctor and when you did did you do you have like your next plan of care yes um, in place yes um because a lot of times we don't really have that luxury of firing a doctor if they're not providing <laughs> yeah, the really. care we need and i i saw them for 3 years 
and they didn't really offer me an individualized care plan and they kept pushing exercise on me. And I kept saying, I have ME, I can't tolerate exertion. And one of the things that they had me do, they were like, well, this is so simple. You can tolerate it even with ME. And it was little isometric chin tucks and it still flared me. And they didn't offer me any help with why that was happening. Now I know it was because I had cervical instabilities. Um, And then they kept telling me, well, if you can't, if you have um, ME symptoms and you can't be upright, then just lay down and cycle. You need to be doing some kind of exercise. And I did that. And it caused so much pain and so many more symptoms because I had a tethered cord. And so it was like, I had all these comorbids that I kept asking them, can you help me figure these out? And they wouldn't or couldn't, couldn't's probably the better answer. Um, And instead just kept pushing this treatment on me that we know is harmful for people with ME. And I know that's what everybody's getting with long COVID. They're going to be told the same thing, just exercise. And when that makes you worse, no one believes you. And we just keep doing it and keep pushing through and keep pushing through. And I just don't want anybody to doubt themselves the way that I did. I, I want, that's, I think that's why I won't shut up about it. And I'm going to keep telling my story because I needed that validation from other people in order to trust my own body. Um, shouldn't be that way, but that's the way it was for me. So <laughs> I am here to give everybody else validation that your body is giving you signals that something's wrong trust it and listen to it and rest. Um, And it just sucks that we have to wait for medicine to catch up, but we just have to keep waiting. Well, it's such a good lesson though, to listen to your body. Um, And it's such a sad one that you tried one thing and it led you to find another area of your body that was problematic and then something else. And you're like, okay, another problem And, um, it's like, things were waiting for you. You're like, for you to find them and you found them. Yeah. doctor was like, yeah, I don't know what's wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I wonder too, like if I had, if I had had a diagnosis of EDS in a timely manner, would I have known, like, would I have known these other illnesses that come along with it? Would I have known that I may be more than likely to have a risk of ME if I got an infection. Like, would I have had that knowledge? And the answer is probably not because a lot of the stuff that we've learned about these illnesses has only come out in the past five or 10 years. And I've had symptoms of EDS since I was five. Wow. Freak accidents and other, yeah, other excuses, but... (laughs) Yeah, that's the other thing. I know people are walking around undiagnosed with other chronic conditions that would put you at a higher risk of post-infectious illness. Um, And not to mention, ME is not the only thing COVID causes. I don't want diabetes. I don't want um, stroke or heart attack or, yeah, I don't want any of these things it's causing. It causes a lot of chronic issues, but yeah, Emmy's a big one. And that's the one that has no treatment. So we got to do better. <laughs>
Well, you know me, I didn't do a good wrap up with Mitney where I'm like, and what would you like people to know? And where can they find you? So let me tell you, that's all in the show notes. If you'd like to find Whitney on Instagram, she has a great account and does wonderful advocacy work. And I'm sorry I didn't do a nice wrap up to this podcast, but I hope you enjoyed it nevertheless. If you did enjoy it, I would greatly appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts. So until next time, I hope you have a low symptom or even better, no symptom week. Take care, everyone.